Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility presents the Vermont Conversation with David Goodman, exploring ideas with innovators, changemakers, business leaders, politicians, and activists. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by the Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. And nearly 700 VBSR business members who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Learn more at www.vbsr.org. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. The Vermont Conversation first went on the air in January 2013. So to kick off our eighth season on the air at WDEV, I thought we would turn to an American broadcasting legend and Vermont icon and someone well-known to the audience of WDEV, Ken Squire, the host of Music to Go to the Dump By. uh, I think we could have a better opening than that. I'm not finished with my intro, Ken. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this is the moment where you sit there and listen. <clears throat> okay. Well, let me Let's get start back again. to this. Okay, here we go. So the last three years have been especially momentous for Ken Squire. He sold Thunder Road, the track that he founded with Tom Curley more than a half century ago. In January 2018, he became the first journalist inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And he is in discussion uh, discussions to sell this station, WDEV, which was founded in 1931 and acquired soon after by his father, Lloyd. WDEV will celebrate its 90th birthday next year. So before we turn to Ken, because at any moment I know he's going to grab the mic and just take over anyway. Well, I always do. I thought I would just read from the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2018 induction notes about who he is and what they how they described ken squire is this way with a smooth voice and knack for weaving a simple note into an epic tale ken squire carved a massive footprint during nascar's formative broadcast years One of NASCAR's original broadcasters, Squire began his career with the Motor Racing Network in 1970. It was his golden voice that took NASCAR to a national audience, thirsting for live coverage, giving his insider's view of what he famously described as, quote, common men doing uncommon things. Deeds. They wrote things, not deeds. 
misdeeds. They misquoted you. Yeah. Okay. That's only etched in granite in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, now, but well, whatever. Whatever. Um they go on and say that he is perhaps best known for calling the 1979 Daytona 500 a milestone moment for the entire sport as Squire's voice on CBS welcomed millions to the first live flag-to-flag coverage of the Great American Race, a moniker that he coined. Anyway, they go on, but uh, suffice it to say there is now an award uh, that NASCAR offers called the Squire Hall Award for NASCAR Media Excellence, named for none other than him and his colleague Barney Hall. Barney Hall. Um, so, Ken, what have you been doing lately? We hear you on Dump Music, but what's what's keeping you interested of late? Staying alive. Okay. And you've done that quite admirably. Well, I don't know about that. But um, it's a challenge. That's what makes it all interesting. Yep. Take, take us back to the early 1930s when this radio station was founded. You know, as I uh, was reading that, 90th birthday coming up soon. What was, I mean, back at the time when this was founded, this was it, right? It was newspapers and radio. True, yeah, true. And not too much radio. Uh, there was no WDEV. There was no stations in central Vermont. And uh, only because that the fellow that uh, published the Waterbury Record uh, was such a believer in communicating and and trying to make it meaningful that um, Lloyd got brought up right because he, too, got brought up in this radio station and in what was uh, prior to that, the Waterbury Record, which was the weekly newspaper. And your dad worked on both? Well, yeah, my dad my dad worked for uh, Harry Whitehill from the, and for Mrs. Whitehill. She was an invalid and... Um, so as a kid, his mother had worked for the White Hills, and they got stuck with the kid, and that was my dad. So for people who have never been to WDEV, there's one part of the station uh, that is the mezzanine where you walk into a studio that is like a throwback to the 1930s. There's, Excuse me. Sorry. Excuse me. There's a piano there. Yep. There are is a whole setup for live radio dramas. That's correct. And, and that a cooking was a, program. And there was a cooking program every morning, one hour. Mm -hmm. so, and they cooked right in the station, right in the studio there. That was at the Polly Jenkins. You know, there right. would be performances on the air, right? I'll say, yeah, and some of them were quite humorous, and 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 there was a but there was there was a point to them. It was they were always seeking, trying uh, to reach the audience that they believed listened to WDEV. And in those days, they were agricultural people, farm people, which is what Vermont was, needs to be again. Yeah. And did you perform in any of those plays, radio dramas? Well, I came along a little later. You know, I was born in 35. Am I right about that? Yeah, 1935. And 
It was probably another eight or nine years before I got on the air. I probably was on before because I was up here all the time, and I'm certain that I added some things I probably should not have done. But um, it was a, it was a wonderful education. When did you know that you wanted to be a broadcaster? I don't know that I ever did. I mean, it was just one of the things you did. It was like being a farmer. You um, you put down several crops and hope something came up. And uh, so I did this and that, and, and fortunately for me, uh, because of my dad and the other people who seemed to be of the same consideration uh, that we all should try what we can do best or what we thought we could do best and see what developed. How'd you get into car racing, which I thought have always thought of as a southern sport, but I know you take great offense at that. Totally, yeah. Why? Well, it was all over America. It was it was part of what was changing in the United States. And baseball became the national pastime. I'm not quite sure why. Well, I do know it was radio that did that. It made it the national pastime. Baseball made radio. Uh, radio made, made baseball. Pa- yeah, the national pastime because they that that put the imagination into it, and you had these various cities that had big baseball teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox, and uh, and people caught into that. They they b- wanted that kind of thing for this country. So baseball became a, 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 a big priority as far as the entertainment part of radio was concerned in the old days. But for motor racing, how did you get exposed to that? Your dad wasn't into it, was he? Well, he, he liked racing, and he liked uh, uh, horse racing, and he liked uh, standard breads. And WDEV, from the outset, decided they needed to go around and do horse racing, the old Green Mountain League. Uh, or the Green Mountain, uh, I don't say mean league, but the series of races that were run at the country fairs, be it Morrisville, be it, uh, well, name one. I don't know. Were there horse tracks all over the state? Oh, yeah. Well, every fairgrounds. And they were half miles. Tunbridge, of course, one of the great fairs still today. And let's see, where else? Well, there was tons of them, and I can't think of a single solitary one at this moment. Well, that's okay. But motor racing is what caught your eye. Well, if you were a kid and your mother took you by the arm and wrenched you around to those those uh, events in those days, you went to the horse races, uh, standard breads, yes. sulkies. Guys with whips in their hand, they'd whip the horse on one side and whip the other uh, driver on the other side. It was quite a deal. You have to talk to uh, some of the folks around Waterbury that really understood the full story about what what it was and what it meant. Uh, because this this was agricultural kind of place, and and people liked to see what they could relate to. And in those days, early days, it was it was horse racing. Okay. So move me from horses to cars. 
How did you get make well? It that happened in, in 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 1903 or four. They had the first big wreck uh, up in St. Johnsbury. Doctor owned a car, and he had a, a co-driver, and uh, I think he killed the co-driver. And it, might, it was the St. Johnsbury something or other, and and I wasn't around for that. That was long before I came along, but <clears throat> but the bigger fairs. From the you know the first automobile race, um, and and uh, Henry Ford was one of the ones that would prioritized uh, motoring because they were trying to sell cars. Huh. So uh, he he built a car and he took it out at uh, in Detroit at the fairgrounds there and won his first race. And they asked him when he was going to race again, and he said, once is enough. Henry Ford himself. Him Ford himself did it. Huh. Well, you're uh, listening to the Vermont Conversation. We are talking with Ken Squire. The... I'm making light of you, and I don't mean to because I like you, but, 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 that, but that's the truth. Uh, the uh, cars came along, and... What had been horsepower, which would be a, a, a great horse, a Hanover horse, or uh, any of those that came off a lot of good Vermont farms and raced at these country fairs, uh, was replaced by horsepower, hmm. all under the hood. And uh, I thought that might make a good title for a book, Under the Hood, uh, with all the, you know, entendre of today's business uh, and it took off it, 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 and it had to because people like to see things that were competitive mm -hmm. and uh, no question about it these fellows that were building cars be it be it uh, Ransom Olds or Henry Ford or name them and there was a fellow up in uh, uh, Barton that uh, uh, I think it was Leland Henry Leland that uh, Started some cars, he, and and he was fairly successful. Uh, started the Lincoln, and before that, he I, I'm trying to think of the other. It wasn't. It, I'm getting old. Well, let me just uh, also turn to our listeners. If you have any questions for Ken Squire, you can call us at two four four seventeen seventy seven. And I should note, Ken, that this business of calling into the radio is something you're passionate about. And basically every show on WDEV involves the audience. Why do you care so much about that? That's a very good question. Because that really was what what radio was to be. And instead, it got all into music, 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 music. Because it was inexpensive to do. And you could play a few records and then um, incorporate advertising into it and didn't cost a lot. Well, it cost a fair amount to get it on the radio, get it set up, go through all the hoops and so forth that were necessary to have a radio station. And that's what Harry Whitehill did. He was quite a guy. He, he, he had a, a great promoter's uh, 
sound, a great promoter's uh, technique to him. Uh, the great Vermont train, that was uh, Harry Whitehill. Mm. And that train, uh, for several years, went all over the eastern United States, as far out as Indianapolis and places like that. And it was full of what made Vermont famous, be it maple syrup, be it whatever you certainly uh, the statuary and, and so forth that came from Hardwick and Barrie. This train ride is quite famous. In fact, there was a DEV. Somebody, as I recall, delivered a large piece of art uh, that had all memorabilia from this cross-country Vermont train. Yeah, yeah. And that was because uh, Harry understood uh, uh, right off the bat that uh, what was necessary was some way to promote Vermont. And Vermont had so many things to talk about. With the basis of, of this beautiful state. And then there were all these other things that we did here. A lot of folks didn't pay attention to. The country fairs did, because we all got together there and lied about how good we were. And we'd win a ribbon or something. So this... this idea of call-in radio involving the community in the stations. And I know when I first came on here, you were very uh, uh, uncompromising about, you know, every show has to be call-in. Why does that matter so much to you? Because they need to ask questions and they need to have answers. And so the darn thing got started and uh, we, we never stopped that. And probably made a horrible mistake because all the ones that really made money uh, played a lot of records. The music shows is where the money is well, in radio. It was then and, and today still is as you follow that pattern. But uh, Harry Whitehill believed that we, we had a responsibility. He said more people, more people can hear than can read. And he thought that Waterbury ought to have a radio station. And in doing that, from the very beginning, the sense was to get the message out. So we were greatly involved in Montpelier and the State House and those early governors, senators, and so forth. And uh, people could call in, ask some questions, and hope to hell they could get some good answers. We're still trying to figure that out. Now... What people hear when they tune into WDEV yep. and the loyal audience of this station is not heard in most of the radio dial. Uh, that is, you know, local news, talk radio, but not nationally syndicated talk radio, kind of homegrown talk radio. Tragic, tragic isn't it? So how have you managed to maintain this, what is really, you know, almost uh, uh, one of a kind at this point. Well, because we didn't know enough to do anything else. That's pretty much what we've been, it's what it was then. And uh, that was certainly uh, Harry Whitehill, who's over here in the Hope Cemetery. And he, he, uh, he believed in communicating, and he had a darn good weekly paper. And the weekly papers then and now are still the essential backbone 
to educating Vermont or attempting to. And the people that were educated listened to it and complained and bitched about it needed to do just exactly that. We haven't changed much. What's your opinion of where radio is at these days, generally? I think it's in a pretty good place. And I think that what we at DEV are doing and the incredible people that we keep finding, they keep showing up. And, and they have an expertise in one area or another. And it could be music. There's nothing wrong with music. That's for darn sure. But at the same time, what we're trying to accomplish is to intrigue and interest as many people as possible in listening to each other. That's what radio needs to be. Doesn't happen that way anymore because all the fancy souls figured out how to sell the time and blah, blah, blah. But the basis of this was to serve the public good, need, necessity. That's what you got your license for. That got screwed around right off early and never stopped. And there's continual opportunities here to get away from that. So there's all, the Federal Communications Commission is always up against the wall one way or another about what is on radio. The one thing you don't want is everything is the same. And I think we probably took it way over the line and, and said, okay, we're going to do just exactly that. And that was Harry Whitehill. And that was my dad. And that was Rusty Parker. And it was all the others that followed because they truly believed that this was a medium, a way of communicating with the public. It was another voice like town meeting where everybody had an opportunity to get in there and say what the hell they believed. And that was okay. And it was in that combination of things and philosophies and political parties and all of that that radio should thrive. Well, that didn't work out that way. And it became the hot 100 or the whatever this or whatever that. And so DEV over the years incorporated music and darn good music and some that wasn't so good. I happen to have a program on Saturday morning that isn't so good, but it's still part of the American culture. Music to go to the dump. Bob. You're darn right. One town, one dump. I have often heard you talk, sort of implore your uh, people who are on the air here. In other places, they're called the talent, but I, I'm not sure if any of us have any of that here. We're just on. Oh, the I disagree. Air. I think we're the most blessed radio station around. Small market. You know, little stations, little places, but where you can talk to the folks and they know who you are and they may have some questions about you, but they're the people that read the books and read the newspapers and they have some thoughts and opinions on what goes on. And why shouldn't they favor the rest of us with, with their information and, and their knowledge? And that's what radio needs to be. So... Where I was going with that, you have often talked uh, about the importance 
of WDEV being relevant, and that is the most important thing that anybody on your air has to do. What does that mean? Singularly, the most important thing is to be relevant. And so the interests of the people are what we try to talk about. Now, these days, that's that's changed a little, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there was a time when there were certain subjects that we would never discuss on the radio. Well, that those things aren't the same as they were then. Like what? Oh, conversations about sex, conversations about uh, people. We were pretty more, we seemed to be far more aware of what the early fathers of our Constitution believed in. And, and we, we, we took a stroke out of that, and we tried to stay regularly, continually close to that. That's changed. Now, one station will be all liberal, and then five stations will be all conservative. Well, why the hell aren't they both on the same station? So that people have an opportunity to listen and decide uh, for themselves. That's what town meeting was about, for pity's sake. And that gets lost, and it's important to keep. We still keep it, and we still do a town meeting night, and, uh, and it's a darn good show. And we've always been fortunate that we had people here, like my dad, who for sure understood that, learned it well from Harry Whitehill, and, uh, and, and continued it and Rusty Parker, and so many others, because they believe that radio is communicating to a public and that the public has the right to speak up. And sometimes their language might be a little coarse, but that's the course that some language <coughs> excuse me, takes. And uh, we have to accept that because they're Vermonters. You're listening to the Vermont Conversation, and we are spending the hour this week with our season opening show with the one and only Ken Squire, the owner of WDEV and legendary broadcaster in his own right. We're going to take a short break for the news, and we'll be back with more of Ken Squire on the Vermont Conversation. Stay tuned. <laughs> 